This episode has been brought to you in part by the Azrieli Music Prizes. Join them in celebrating artistic excellence at the AMP Gala Concert, live from Maison Symphonique in Montreal, happening October 20th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Orchestre Metropolitain will premiere award-winning music by laureates Aharon Harla, Iman Habibi, and Rita Ueda. Learn more at azrielifoundation.org backslash AMP. This is Bonjour Chai, the No Campaign, No Gain edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Montreal. And Davis Clark in Calgary, we are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, it's campaign season across the country. We talk to Ezra Shankin, the CEO of the Vancouver Federation, about what makes their campaign so different. And are these splashy launch events a waste of money? We talk to Elizabeth Gomery of Philanthropica to find out. First, Alana, David, how's it going? Great. I want to hear about your experience at Ashkenaz because I know that you were in Toronto recently at Ashkenaz Festival. Yeah, we had a couple of days. We had a booth there. I set up uh, the equipment. We did a whole bunch of interviews. We're going to put some clips, uh, sort of a teaser at the end of this show after the credits, but we had a great time. Great music. So-called had this project called Gefilte, like fish, like jam band (laughs) style. (laughs) That's funny. And Gefilte was with a PH. Yeah. (laughs) For people who are not too familiar, I know we've talked a little bit about Ashkenaz Fest a few weeks ago, but but what goes on in Ashkenaz Fest? Uh, well, it's not Sephardic. I can tell you that much. Okay. Um, no, okay. it's Ashkenaz. Is it Mizrahi? There is no. It is Ashkenaz. Uh, okay. Uh, it is Ash- Although they are they are really expanding that definition a little bit. There was this right really cool, as we heard like, when we interviewed. You know, African the head of Ashkenaz and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that was fun. Uh, Ashkenaz is like a two day festival at the heart, uh, even more because they had this year they had the uh, opera in Yiddish. Um, that was really cool that they launched and concerts. They have a parade. They had some speeches. This guy Eddie Portnoy gave a whole talk called Am Yisrael High about the two thousand year history of Jews and cannabis, and it was based on like an exhibit that he curated for YIVO with like all these interesting Jewish artifacts. Niche. I had thought that Oi Vapes was the greatest possible Jewish name for a cannabis <laughs> company until I found there's a company called Token Jew. <laughs> That's good. Um, which was brilliant. So That's like, you know, it's a, it's a celebration of Jewish culture at Harborfront. It's free. It's outdoors. So everybody gets to like come and you get a lot of interesting characters show up. Um, we had a great time with the CJN there and uh, we met a lot of people and um, that was Ashkenaz. So stay tuned for the end of that oh, to have that there. We hung do? out. Me and Alana hung out last night. Yeah, uh, we were at the Shar Hashemayim uh, Synagogue in Montreal's Young Professionals event. Avi, I don't know if you fit the the demographics. I'm kidding. Um, I don't. I'm old. I'm <laughs> totally old, but it's like, I'm, you know, it's my wife's event and, you know, I, I bought the mezcal for it. So like, how come I wasn't invited? You absolutely. You invited. could have flown in from Calgary. Uh, the funny part. So they had this Paloma station where you can make your own Paloma, which I heard was Avi's brainchild, um, where you pick which mezcal you want and then you can add in like grapefruit or spritzer and all those types of things. And I go up and ask for a mezcal and the bartender poured me my entire glass full of mezcal. I was like, um, is this what's supposed just a straight shot? Yeah, of like the entire glass. I'm not joking. And then I go over to my sister in law. I'm like, do you want to share this with me? This is way too much alcohol you were for clearly my sister. Giving off, I need a glass of mezcal vibes. Apparently, <laughs> it was like a schmooze and booze event. Yeah, it was really relaxed. There was tons of food. You can like make your own little tacos, and they had all these different fillings and chips and guac and drinks. You um, say taco like Torontonians say pasta. Did I say taco? No, I said taco. Yeah, exactly. That's a problem. They say taco. 
But that's how you're supposed to no, say I'm it. No, I'm from Montreal. Taco. Ta- nobody says taco. Yeah. Taco? Yeah. David? Taco. taco. Thank you. I, I Thank you. Taco. You've been away from Montreal for so long. Anyway. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, but on to other stuff. Um, we're excited for our sermon slam next week. Send in your entries. If you're a rabbi or if you want your rabbi on there, send us a name, tell us you're interested. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun leading up to Rosh Hashanah into Yom Kippur and even beyond. Uh, we want to hear from rabbis. We want your best four minute, um, sermon. It could be from a past year's Rosh Hashanah sermon or Yom Kippur sermon. Send it in. We're going to start featuring them hopefully next week. Um, so Get those names in, get those sermons in. We want to crown Canada's top sermonizer in some way or another uh, with something Canada's first sermon slam only here on Bonjour Chai. Let's get to Ezra Schenken, the CEO of the Vancouver Federation, right after we hear from our sponsor. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. It's campaign season in Canada with the Jewish Federations in Montreal and Vancouver this week, Toronto next week, Winnipeg the week after. Some cities have chosen not to do campaign launches. We figured we'd check in with at least one of them to get behind the scenes of this year's campaign and get a sense of why these events happen year after year. Joining us is the CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver, Ezra Schenken. Ezra, welcome back to Bonjour Chai. It's good to be here. So uh, why don't you start by telling us what's planned for this year's campaign launch? I assume that by the time most people hear this, it will have happened already. Give us a recap, or I can call it a precap. Well, if it's happened already, then I'll say it was super successful. (laughs) It was was the best campaign launch we've ever had. There you go. (laughs) Excellent. uh, But the, um, you know, this year we, we actually wanted to focus, for us, our campaign launches is about gathering community. Uh, you know, for some communities, there's there's some money raising that's going on. Um, we know for organizations, often they have, you know, dinners and that's the time when they get together. And there's a lot of revenue that comes in from things like that. For us, it's less about the revenue, more about bringing community together. And for me, it's a lot of times been about trying to explore different issues that our community is going through, that we can use the lens of a opening to really explore, to get deep into that issue. This year, we're talking about mental health. As as you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic or whatever it means, where, wherever we are right now, kind of the, you know, the endemic period of the pandemic, um, mental health is a big piece of the puzzle in helping people kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy. And we see it affecting so many parts of our population, including our, our children, And to engage in a conversation about that through the lens of an opening night, I think is actually going to be really interesting for the 700 plus people that are coming to join us at Beth Israel Synagogue here in Vancouver. 
my my sense based on what you're saying is that you didn't necessarily, or maybe you can tell us, um, had you noticed a significant drop, for example, in your annual campaign over the past couple of years when you weren't able to gather um, in person? No, I, I, we hadn't actually, because federations have played such an integral role in the uh, care and the recovery from from COVID. Uh, our leadership during during the COVID pandemic really was an incredible highlight of the strength of having uh, collective community be available to people during times of crisis. So our our campaigns by and large went up during during COVID because people recognized that the needs were greater than they'd ever been. Uh, so we didn't necessarily need together, but we were hearing from people. We were hearing from people that it was time to get back together, uh, that people missed seeing each other. And we want to provide that. This is a big part of Jewish life is, is gathering and doing the things that we do together. It's why we have the Minion and, and, and so many other things. We want to gather together. We want to be a group think, you know. So I'm very excited. This will be the first time that we've been back in person. Uh, so it and the response has been fantastic. I get the sense that you're in the minority in Vancouver, that this is the mindset of um, why you're gathering and why you're having a, a campaign launch event and you're making it more about education. You're making it more about something less about the dinner and the fun. And, right. Montreal has Modi, the comedian. And uh, in Toronto, they have uh, Bush and uh, Harper coming to speak. And, you know, like you said, sometimes it's a big dinner and it's a big event and, and they're trying to raise a lot of funds. Can you tell us a little bit about the shift in the mindset of uh what was happening in the Pacific Northwest uh, to be able to have people go and say, well, it's actually the Southwest in Canada, I guess. We, we, we think right, the Pacific better. Southwest Anyways, Canada. But, uh, <laughs> of Canada. Um, of, you know, to sort of get a sense of where that sh- why that shift happened, um, you know, in your neck of the woods and you moved away from having these large glitzy events. And I get the sense, I like this idea of, of it being about community. Walk us through that a bit. Well, I think what, what we were looking at as, as an organization it helps that we we never really had a tradition here in Vancouver of having uh, big glitzy dinners that are connected to the Federation um, or, you know, those annual kind of, you know, revenue generating, gift generating gatherings. Um, so we had open space to do what we wanted to do uh, with within that that opportunity that is um, the the space of creating um, an opening to build excitement and to build energy around an annual campaign and really an annual cycle of events and activities that the community is going to do collectively. Um, We went to to a model of really looking at some of the issues. We did a number of years of something called Fed Talks, uh, which was really using a TED Talk type model to explore different speakers and issues. Uh, we had we've had everybody from uh, from from Erwin Kotler to uh, to Buji Herzog uh, as 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 speakers during Fed talks. Uh, that was a really interesting way of exploring a multitude of issues. And and then we decided kind of this year to to kind of meld two different ways of doing things. One, there are people out there that kind of want to hear from the celebrity class of people. Um, they're interested in that. That's that really mm-hmm. kind of gets them going. And we want to put kind of tushies in seats, so to speak. We want people to be there to have mm-hmm. the conversation. So we saw an opportunity this year to kind of meld together 
what people want from the maybe from the celebrity class um, melding it with an issue that we thought we could explore with these people and that's where we got to this kind of idea of, of bringing together uh, someone like Fran Drescher who has a personal story of mental health uh, that she that she's dealing with not to mention the recovery from her recovery from cancer and the, how that affected her her mental health um, Mayim Bialik and Jonathan Cohen her you know podcast partners for for the breakdown um, and then a, a panel of local experts around mental health. Now that was really important to us. Uh, we, we were happy to kind of bring some of the star power into the room. We wanted that to be there so that those who, who are motivated and interested in that get that fulfillment from hearing that voice. Um, but we also wanted to add that panel in there so we had local experts really talking about how it is that we can tackle this issue. And we've been able to do this because we don't really have a precedent here out west. You know, it's we're blazing new trails out here. So we're able to really explore these things. And I'm uh, I, on a personal level, there's a certain amount of selfishness in these things when you're when you're a federation exec. You have a little bit you of get control. to do what you um, want to have happen. Yeah, my, my selfishness is that I want I want things with meaning. I want things with content. Um, it actually interests me. It excites me. So um, trying to guide us in that direction year after year has not been a hard thing for, for me because it's something that, that really uh, you know, gets my juices flowing. My dad always used to joke that uh, he used to say that the, he would call campaign launch the campaign closing because 80% of the funds were already raised you know, beforehand from the 12 big names. And you, they would come up and say, this is wonderful. We're hoping to get this, to this number. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're most of the way there already, but they're not talking about that. Um, can you give us a little bit of inside baseball? Like, does that still happen where you know, before you get to campaign, you have a pretty good sense of what this year's campaign is going to, without even giving us any numbers, but give us some of the behind the scenes of how some of that works no it's it's actually a very it's a very good point um we we don't do the pre-ask uh for before this especially when it comes in as early as the opening is coming in this this year sometimes mm -hmm. when the opening is set a little bit later into september you'll get a a good amount of conversations with at least your largest contributors uh it, you know before you get in the room and then you're kind of you've got a good feeling uh around where where you're going we, we have goals set we're, we're looking to kind of break through that 10 million dollar annual campaign barrier this year uh which it would be an extraordinary feat uh when i arrived here we were kind of sitting at about 7.3 so the fact that we're kind of climbing up uh we have a chance to climb up above 10 uh is really really exciting uh, but yeah, we we have a good idea in many ways with our largest donors where they're going to be because they're relatively stable. Um, but we mm -hmm. don't do, whereas some communities do kind of a pre-event where they close out a whole bunch of their their largest donors. Their top donors. Yeah. We don't we don't do that here. We we just kind of go through the motions and 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 work feels a little more real, I guess. That's I, I guess it's a little bit more real. It's this is a real opening in the sense that it's falling well before the Hagim come in. Um, it's falling very early into the month of September. So we've had very, very few conversations. So we've had some good successes so far. We've had very few conversations before before tomorrow night. 
the cliche around millennials and big events like this and giving in general. Um, can you give us a sense? Do millennials respond well to these types of large events? Um, do they give? Do they not give the way that people under, uh, assume and t- talk about it? Um, and what is the future of giving um, with people that are even 30 and below? Um, if that if there's any uh, truth to that, can you? It's an, it's an excellent question. I, I worked on prior to taking on this role, I worked with millennial kind of fundraising for most of my career in two different federations, uh, Colorado and New York. And and I think that the thing that I learned the most is that um, there's no real theme to it. I think that every community is different. Every millennial group or every Gen Z group is is a little bit different and reacts a little bit different within their own environment. Um, we happen to have a very vibrant Ben-Gurion society. Um, we have 40 young people involved in that, and each one of them is is giving $1,000 a year to to the Federation. That's pretty amazing for, for this day and age, and we're growing. Um, they're going to be at the event, and they like it. They like the access to the celebrity class, to, as do some, some others. But I find that often we're creating a diversity of programs for for our younger population the same way we would do for any other population. That's also why I I think it's really important that we're shifting themes throughout throughout the years that we're doing our openings. Some are gonna speak to some people, some are gonna speak to other people. Um, We believe that mental health does speak to our younger population in, in in a big way because they're feeling it. Uh, in a big way. So they're closer to kind of the, you know, that kind of key uh, young population that's really wrestling with with mental health. So we've seen actually a really nice uptake from from the younger population in coming and being a part of of this opening. We've had others that have been less resonant uh, with with different populations or different pieces of the young population. So what we try to do is is keep being diverse keep moving through different themes, keep touching on different issues, knowing that some of the issues are really gonna touch young people in a way that's gonna draw them in and at the same time, create the access and opportunity. One of the things we're doing with our Ben Gurion Society is we're inviting them to be with our major donors at, at, at the pre-reception that we do. That's a great thing for our young people to be in the room. You know, we've talked about it. We used to do it separate. Now we bring them together. We want them to be in the room with our with our major donors. It's great for the major donors of the community and the leaders of the community. And it's great for the young people to feel a sense of kavod and opportunity to to be a part of this. Decision. And to be inspired that yeah. that could be me in the future if I give. Right. For sure. For sure. Uh, look, our our theme this year is is make amazing happen. You know, amazing happens. That's what we say. When we get together and we do things like this, amazing happens. We try to provide as many opportunities for amazing to happen as we can throughout the year. And if we do that, some of those are going to really resonate with our younger population. Some of them are going to resonate with our older population. But if we continue to bring diverse, uh, insightful, inspiring programs to our community and work alongside our agencies, amazing happens. Beautiful. Well, Ezra, good luck tomorrow night. And uh, you're welcome on here anytime to talk. Uh, I'd love to hear how the campaign ended up at, at, at the closing. Uh, maybe we'll get a recap of some kind and uh, hear a little bit more about it. I would love it, Avi. This is, this is great. Always happy to be on. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. 
probably since the beginning of major events being a part of the fundraising landscape, people have been questioning their value. I think these questions have increased relevance in our current era, given that organizations have managed to fundraise without any events whatsoever for the past couple of years. And of course, many of these events have gotten more and more extravagant as organizations try to outdo each other and compete for our attention spans. So we figured that now would be a good time as ever to uh, go back and ask these questions again and revisit what the value of these uh questions and these ideas are. And with us to talk about these issues is Elizabeth Gomery, founding principal at Philanthropica, a consulting firm that specializes in the nonprofit sector. Elizabeth, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Hi, thank you so much. So can we start with the big elephant in the room? Uh, do large scale events actually work from a fundraising perspective? So that's a that's a yes and no answer. Um, yes, they, they, they work. They raise lots of money for organizations. You have some of the biggest galas that can raise well into the millions for organizations. Um, I think where the question becomes a little more nuanced is, uh, are they the best utilization of an organization's time and resources? So you might have uh, some metrics like cost per dollar raised, and sometimes you'll have an organization that will actually spend 50 cents for every dollar that it raises. That starts to get a little tricky in terms of how is that organization using its resources and is that the best way to raise money? Those statistics don't include the internal resources of the organization's staff. So very often, uh, even though it's costing you 50 cents on the dollar to raise a million dollars, you're not actually thinking about salaries, time, and opportunity costs for the people who work within the organization. Um, and you very often have very high net worth individuals in a room paying $5,000 for a ticket when they could have made easily a $100,000, $250,000 major gift donation. So are we in fact underselling an organization's capacity to raise money when uh, we're under asking a high net worth individual? And so if you're saying that this might not be the most effective way of raising money, what are some other alternatives? Well, the best way to raise money for any organization is to do a personal approach. So effectively say to an individual, a high net worth individual, you have capacity. We don't usually say that part out loud, but it's, it's understood. Um, so, you know, just, just ringing their doorbell <laughs> implies that, you know, but then you also have this interest and you might have this demonstrated interest, which comes to you from life experience or from professional experience. Um, and we think that we can match that interest with something that we're doing within this organization and provide you with an opportunity to make a meaningful impact. That is, in fact, the cheapest, most effective way to get significant dollars for a philanthropic organization. Uh, that is the face-to-face, person-to-person, relationship-building approach. Now, not everybody is available to have those conversations. Not every organization has uh, the fundraisers to have those organizations. And fundamentally, if you're asking the same person for a gift year after year after year, that person may start to get a little bit fatigued and may not, in fact, open the door to you uh, further on. So events are actually a great way to get new people into the fold, but at very high costs. Uh, and they're not always the best way to engage with individuals on an ongoing basis. You talk about new people. I'm assuming by new people, these these big uh, events, they're trying to attract younger people, millennials and, and maybe people in Alana and my age demographic. Do they work? Do young people want to come to these big shindigs, these wine and dine events, these galas? Or are they sort of saying, I could spend my money and time elsewhere? I mean... 
They love the networking opportunity. And very often what happens with these big shindigs and galas is that uh, you'll sell a corporate table. Uh, and so a company will buy a table and then will basically knock on doors and say, please go to this event, please go to this event. Uh, and finally, they'll send 10 people from their office or from their firm over to that event. Those individuals may not have any relationship whatsoever or any affinity for the organization hosting the event. Maybe if you're lucky, one out of 10 sort of says, this was a great event. This is a great hospital or a great organization. I love this. I've discovered something I didn't know before. And they might decide that they want to get invited. But really, the value is you get email addresses, uh, you get some data, and then maybe you're able to solicit them for an annual fund, you know, end of year sort of ask. Millennials, Zs, they, they enjoy this. Um, they enjoy it because it gives them an opportunity to network and to meet other individuals. But um, is this the best way to engage with them? Perhaps not. And is the organization taking an opportunity to really speak about what the cause and the mission and the values of the organization are when they're doing a black tie gala for what have you, a university, a hospital, sometimes even a homeless shelter? You know, there, there's not always an affinity between the event and uh how the event is is putting itself forward to the community. You know, so that's interesting. You know, uh, I read a piece that you wrote a while ago about the uh, the Global Citizen Live concert. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, you're a great writer. Um, you had this specific critique that really struck me about how like Coca-Cola was a major sponsor uh, of this concert. And despite like their corporate aims are completely at odds with what the concert organizers are trying to promote. Now, this got me thinking, right? Because we're not, we're in campaign season, right? And we're not necessarily talking about these black tie events. Um, we're talking about these big gala events. And I was like looking at what, you know, to take the top, the three major Jewish communities in Canada. Um, Montreal had a comedian last night at their, uh, at their launch event. Toronto had, um, is having next week, uh, George W. Bush and Stephen Harper in conversation. And uh, Vancouver was having Mayim Bialik and Fran Drescher um, talk about mental health. Now we actually had um, on, on the show uh, just before you, uh, Ezra Schenken, who is the CEO of Vancouver Federation. And, you know, he was saying that he, they don't believe in Vancouver and doing big events just for the sake of doing these events. And they want to bring the community together. It's not about fundraising. Um, and they want to make a difference with the event itself. Whereas these other events, I was like, well, what if you don't really stand for what Stephen Harper was standing for? Does that mean that you should feel alienated from the community? What is the message that's being sent by these launch events um, when they're saying that they're there for the community, but they're only spe like speaking to people who can afford a ticket, who can um, who align themselves with the politics or who want to go to a certain comedy show? Um, you know, there seems to be a disconnect in the same sort of way. And I was wondering um, what you think about these ideas of like a launch events as sending a message to the community, but, you know, having more to say about what they're not saying than what they're saying. I, that's a really fair question. I should mention that piece was written by a wonderful student uh, who interviewed me, and I, I, I don't want to take credit for, oh, for the okay. work that he did. Um, but, um, you know, events work as conveners, and I think that's probably the comment that was being made um, is that we have an opportunity through an event to convene people and to convene community. And uh, sometimes the people that you convene are not necessarily a statement on politics or perspective, but rather a statement about the organization's ability to convene big names. So it's a little bit of a, 
have you seen us? Do you see how important we are? And this is the importance that the community has by being able to have a former U.S. president or a former uh, Canadian prime minister come and speak to us. So it's a little bit about showmanship as opposed to necessarily putting a flag in the sand around politics. Um, is it necessarily inclusive? That's a great question. Um, and no, when you have two politicians of a certain ilk uh speaking at a launch event, that does become problematic. And I might have, you know, advised them to think about optics and inclusivity when making these two uh, invitations at the same launch event. But it really is about sort of saying our community has an, an opportunity and an ability to bring to the table individuals who will speak to you frankly, because that's how strong we are. And there's value to that. And that's why people give to their community organizations and reinforce their community organizations because it is um, a nice testimonial to how important that community is. Um, At some point, though, though there's a circular logic yeah. to that, that like the organization yes. is justifying their own existence in order to fundraise for the fact that they should ex continue to exist. Yes, but the organization is also fundraising um, for an ability to support, you know, in, in the case of Federation, to support uh, activities both within the community in uh, their local cities and also to provide funds and support for, for Israel. I mean, those are laudable uh, activities. Uh, do occasionally organizations get into that sort of circular logic? Yeah, it's a problem. Right. If you've got, for example, an organization that believes that as its mandate, it wants to end poverty and it then has a hundred million dollar endowment. Well, try and figure that one out. Uh, either you're trying to end po poverty, in which case you should be spending your entire endowment right now to end that poverty or implicitly you think poverty is an ongoing uh, fact of life, which, in fact, we will never be able to end. Um, that becomes challenging. That, that is uh, a real inherent issue. And there is, and I know we're getting away from events, but there's a little bit of pushback over the fact that Canadian foundations now are carrying trillions of dollars of endowed funds when over the last two years, that money really could have helped a lot of those organizations, a lot of people who are to be served by those organizations through those endowed funds. You bring up an interesting point because... I was thinking about the irony of hosting a big fancy gala to help, let's say, homeless people or refugees. What do we uh, think about that? And I guess I direct that question also to Avi and, and David as people who would maybe or not go to something like that. Um, is that too I'm much dissonance? Rich, like, I don't go to those events. <laughs> let's say you... <laughs> what makes you think it, that? <laughs> okay. You know what I meant. In an imaginary reality where it was very inclusive, you could go if, uh, even if you didn't uh, have millions of dollars, is that something that would create too much dissonance for you? I, I'm happy to answer. I, yes. And I, I think that when we talk about um, the next generation of individuals going to these events, when we talk about millennials and Zs going to these events, they are asking those sorts of questions. And it's about time that they're asking those sorts of questions. They're sort of saying, is this really the best way that we could be using money? If I'm 
paying $500 for a ticket and you're using 250 to serve me, you know, rubber chicken, is this really what I wanted to do with my money? And is this really the best that you organization XYZ can do? So there is starting to be a change in how organizations are fundraising. You know, 20 years ago, it was all about golf tournaments. Um, and a couple of things happened. One, more women entered the workfare force and were like, I don't play golf and I don't have time to play golf and I'm not doing this. Um, and the other is that, you know, it, it became a little bit too much of an inclusive club and it had literally no link whatsoever to the cause in question. Um, so I do think that with a new cohort of potential donors and prospects coming in and sort of saying, tell me about your organization, tell me about your fiduciary duty to spend money wisely, uh, and then tell me how this gala fits into all of that, organizations are starting to say, wait a second, this isn't what we want to do. The thing about a gala, it's a lousy way to promote your organization, whatever your organization may be. You've got a ton of very wealthy individuals in a room. They have limited interest and opportunity to really engage with what it is that you're promoting. And then they all go home and they had to buy a dress. They had to get their hair done. They had to get a babysitter. And honestly, it's not a great way to spend an evening. So those things are changing slowly. I do think the pandemic sort of gave an opportunity to a lot of organizations that were having dying events to finally put those events to rest. So what comes out now from those ashes will be interesting. Let's talk about what's been happening in the past couple of years. Obviously with COVID, nobody could go anywhere. Nobody could do anything. What have you noticed? How did they adapt? How did they evolve? And do you think that this will continue uh, in the future? So a lot of organizations did online events. Uh, so, you know, and, and when you're making $400,000 from an event or whatever amount, uh, you can't as an organization necessarily say, okay, we're not going to try and replicate some sort of event and some sort of opportunity to convene our community. So a lot of organizations and charities did online events. They were smaller in scale. Uh, they were perhaps less profitable, but they also cost a lot less for the organization to host. Um, one of the things that happens when you do online organizations is, or online events is inherently they are talk events. Uh, so there's more content that is being provided. Uh, and that content then allows an organization to speak about what it is that they're doing or bring thought leaders to speak about what the organization is doing and engage with their community that way. Um, individuals found that interesting. Uh, donors found that interesting. But I think everyone's very tired from the online model. Now you've got online for work, you've got online to see your family, and you've also got online for, for events. Um, people are beginning to transition away from that, uh, but they don't necessarily want to go back to a model where they're spending $500,000 hosting a big party. Uh, a lot of people still aren't prepared to go to those big parties, and a lot of people are just not interested. Um, so smaller events, more focused on content, um, and more focused on an opportunity to build relationships after the event. I, I don't love fundraising events. Uh, I'm not sure if that's come out. Uh, I, I, I really don't I enjoy them. you made that loud and clear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there is, there is an opportunity to acquire um, 
new prospects for the organization. Uh, and there is an opportunity to have conversations. Uh, and if you're hosting an event to do those two things, and if you've got a strategy for the post-event life, then perhaps an event actually works very well for an organization. Having a gal for the sake of a gal is terrible fundraising. Having a gala and then engaging your community afterwards can work. What about these general campaigns, uh, you know, where we have general, you know, community saying that we are going to fundraise on behalf of, you know, the entire Jewish community. This is the annual campaign. Are there people starting to question and rethink this model, especially given that every agency, that every federation is funding has to do their own fundraising and their own charitable model as opposed to when it was started where everybody was just, you know, Federation was going to give all of the funding to all of the agencies and say, you have one charitable gift that you have to give this year and give it to us and we will distribute it. And that doesn't exist anymore. Um, are there reasons to rethink the fact that maybe federations shouldn't exist anymore? And, you know, every organization should have to just keep doing what they're doing in the fundraising and people will know, well, I want to give to the library or I want to give to this organization. I want to give to that organization. Uh, I want to give to the Y and then let people make their own decisions and let Federation walk away from this whole uh, approach and this whole model. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. But um... <laughs> Well, so that goes back to what I was saying about the idea of, of organizations <laughs> that are existing just to justify their own existence. I think what the Federations do, I, I think that definitely what they did 20, 30, 50 years ago uh, and sort of said, let us handle the administrative costs of fundraising. Let us handle all of that. Let us have one conversation and distribute. That was very uh, laudable and very helpful uh, and very impactful. I think you're right. A lot of those agencies and a lot of the organizations that subsequently receive money uh, from their federations are also engaging in fundraising activities themselves. They have to. They don't receive enough money from anywhere to be able to not do their own fundraising and they have stories that they need to tell as well but federation um their activities go far beyond that so they really develop a sense of community they really develop a sense of um they lead conversations on the importance of philanthropy and that cannot be understated um, they are effectively teaching people how to be philanthropists and about the importance of philanthropy. And when I see the contributions of organizations like federations and what they have done, that is without a doubt the single greatest uh, advantage that they've given. They talk about women's philanthropy. They talk to young people about their philanthropy. Um, and they make philanthropy absolutely central to the conversation of what it means to be part of community. That's huge. Um, and that cannot be understated. Now, where we do see attention is the next generations, the younger generations kind of saying, this was something my parents did. I'm not so into it. I'm into something else. I might be into the environment or I might be into my kid's school or I might be into, uh, you know, international development, what have you. And so where federations are finding a lot of challenge is sort of saying, reinventing themselves and speaking to the next generation's interests while also maintaining some of their own activities. Because, you know, it's not your father's Cadillac and you don't want to be giving your father's charity either. Yeah. And and so federations are basically just finding the, the spaces where that they can speak to those specific fields, right? It's not where federation, well, we give to the environment also. We have environmental causes, we have international development causes, and you should be giving to us. And then there's that there's that back and forth. So if if you had a prescription, right, it sounds like you don't think that federation, the federation model should go away completely. 
or at least not just yet. Um, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a huge shame. Okay. So then what would your prescription be for the future, right? If you are, if you got your, your, your consulting grant or your consulting contract for, uh, every, any given federation in North America or the entirety of Jewish federations in North America, what would you tell them the pivot should be, uh, towards for the future? whether it's the millennial in 25 25 words or less. (laughs) Give us the binder. What's the brief? (laughs) I I think, I think the brief is you've got to, um, you, you've got to be willing to listen to what this next generation is telling you. Um, you know, be having a donor centered approach doesn't actually mean telling the donor to fit within your box. This is now really about listening to what that generation wants, what they're looking for and providing them opportunities to learn and grow. And I know that sounds like a lot of fluffy language, but it really is that educational value that federations have always brought to their community. That's their winning ticket. And it can't just be, well, you come from a long line of families that have always given to us. It's going to have to be, tell us what, in the case of federation, tell us what your Jewish identity means to you. I was going to say, I think it scares federations. I think that it's scary to a lot of federations because the younger generations don't exactly have, they also don't have the same Jewish values and and approach without saying that they don't have Jewish values or approach um, than the establishment already believes in. And they're not quite ready to accept that there's a plurality of political voices, there's a plurality of, um, you know, all sorts of identities that they, you know, have not yet figured out how to speak to and how to to listen to. Abby, I totally agree with you. And, and, and I think that there are some federations, I think, you know, the work that federations have done around uh, conversion and around people who are converts and creating uh, communities that are welcoming and accepting and, and, and understanding that converts are part of the community and an important part of the community. I think that's that's transformational. That That is, uh, if you'll excuse the expression, ballsy work that probably was inconceivable about 30 years ago. Um, I think more conversations around that, more conversations around, okay, you may not want to send your kids to Jewish day school. How can we support? How can we provide and continue to give opportunities to engage with your community that aren't necessarily the ways that really we want to do, but... Uh, that that are appropriate for you. Uh, They're going to have to listen. And what we haven't talked about in any of those conversations is money. So they're going to have to lead with the value before leading with the money. That's a huge change also. Excellent. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Elizabeth Gomery, thanks for coming on Bonjour Chai. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time in the show where we like to talk about our Nachas of the Week, that thing that made us feel good, Jewy, Canadian-y, a little bit of both sometimes, if we're, if we're lucky. Um, Alana, what's your Nachas of the Week? Today, September 8th, which is the day that we are recording, is the debut of Star Trek on NBC, which stars very famously Jewish and Canadian actor William Shatner, who also went to the same summer camp as me, and my claim to fame is that I had the bunk bed with his name next to it. And I thought you that it was, it was like a sign Look, David, of my future as an actor. You <laughs> did not. Excellent. Thank you. My sister's That's great. Actually That's a, so cool. My sister married a Shatner. It's her last really? name. They're, they're cousins somehow, some, some way back. 
There you go. You can use that. Uh, to get him on the show. Can I ask you something? What would our conversation with William Shatner entail? Like, why uh, did you go to space? Why did you go to space? Why wouldn't you go to space? Um, I mean, th- there's a lot of controversy around that space track. Okay, Alana, I'm giving you a free ticket right now to go to space. Would you go? I mean, if it was in the timing that it was, I think I would have preferred to use it to maybe help people get over the pandemic instead of going to space. Oh, please. You're going to oh, space. Oh, please. That's so not true. You're if you had a space. ticket to space tomorrow, you would drop everything and go right to space <laughs> oh, right now. That's scary. I don't know if I want to go to don't space. Don't act all holier than thou. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Uh, David, what's your nachos of the week? Well, I will not be going to space. I was down here on the ground this week, but uh, my friends were in Goodwill the other day and found a treasure trove of board games. Do you want to know what they found? I want to know all of what they found. Yes. Okay. So, and I can show you photos later, but in Calgary, they got Hanukkah Dominoes, Hanukkah Felt Time, Mitzvah Match, Torah Slides and Ladders, some mystery person, uh, donated all their cherished childhood memories for them, for me, for us to enjoy and play. And I was just thinking after our conversations, maybe this is a good idea for the next Z or millennial fundraiser, a night of board games at the Federation. That reminds me of when I was living in a very Jewish part of Toronto and went into the Salvation Army and found all of these Israeli records in the vinyl section, which I found hilarious because it's Salvation Army. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was at Ashkenaz and I got a sign for my sukkah printed on vinyl by this. Um, oh my God. I can't remember what they're called. Um, I'll have to put it in the show notes. They, they were a wonderful little uh, corner booth there selling uh, cute little Yiddish things. And this, it was uh, printed on vinyl for a sukkah, sukkah r- worthy. Mm-hmm. And it said, live, laugh, lulav. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kitschy. I, I think that will make it into the goodwill very, oh, very I don't know. Soon That's too. going in our sukkah every year. <laughs> okay. What's your name? Every year. Abby, to you. I am going to yeah. shout out Leah Kalish, um, who went, was on the scene for a little while, uh, starting a couple years ago. She just released her first album. It's called the uh, In Love with a Dream. Uh, she is an ex-chassid. She raps in Yiddish. She has a strimal and a tiara on the cover of her album. Alana, you can't. people cannot see your facial expressions. Can you I'm, please interpret for us? Um, <laughs> I'm laughing. Well, there's a lot going on, but uh, the name of the song, Eshet Chayel of Hip Hop, was what I was laughing at. But yeah, then We'll you hear see, a clip of that in a second. But then you see, um, I'm assuming, Leia, and she has like curls on the side of her head. And like a strimal on the side, and she's holding a tiara on the other hand. It's quite a look. Absolutely. Here, this is Aisha Kyle of Hip Hop. You wonder what Hasidicism has to do with hip hop? Not much, one would think. That's why I'm here for you to make the link. Have you noticed they will start with an age? Inflame passion in me, but also rage. I know you're looking at my style and think, like, what the f? I got you a bomber jacket and a strimal. Not the usual combination, it's my representation of these two worlds. And I actually kind of like it. Extravagant, nonchalant, just you wait. Tomorrow everybody will be late, cause they have to get themselves the new trend. Yes, my friend, that's where my rap could end. But no, I'm on a mission. I made a decision. I'll marry Hasidism and hip hop. And you won't stop a rocket to the bang bang boogie Sit up, jump the boogie Do the rhythm of the boogie, the beat 
Okay, so I have two questions. One, can we commission her to write the Jewish version of Hamilton? And two, where does this person live? Is she Canadian? In New York. I was going to say she has to be from New yeah, York. We, we didn't hit the Canadian one on this ah. one, but she's so good. That's pretty catchy. I could get into that. I mean, like... She clearly fits into that model of like, I stopped listening to hip hop, you know, around 98, 99. But uh, am I right? You, you I mean, or she only started to listen to hip hop recently, <laughs> recently and only, and only listened, listened to, to it that from this saying, one era. <laughs> um, you know, not as grimy as what you would imagine a lot of hip hop to be these days. Um, but um, she's got a good flow. She's saying a great message. And it was it's just a lot of fun. It's a great EP. Go check it out. Um, Leia Kalish. That's my uh, Nafas of the Week. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending September 10th, Shabbat Parashat Ki The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for the CJN Podcast Network is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour. And you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you subscribe, you sometimes get random bonus episodes. And as always, you can Email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. So I'm here now with Eric Lindbergh and Donnie Zasloff of Nefesh Mountain. Uh, you guys did an amazing set yesterday. It's not Canadian, it's, it's, but it's super American, right? This Americana. How did you guys get to um, combining Americana and Jewish music? Well, first of all, it's nice to see you, man. Great to be here. Um, super cool festival. And um, I know we're, we're Americans. Hi, my name is Rhea Burrell. How old are you? I'm nine. And do you go to school? Yes. Where do you go to school? I go to Netivot HaTorah. I hear it's a good school. It is. Awesome. Um, what brings you to Ashkenaz Festival? Well, my dad is the director, so I just like come here to have fun. You come every year, I bet. No, 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 because it just started this year. Because last year and the year before, there wasn't any right Ashkenaz Festival? No, he, no, he just like got the job. Um, Gas and uh, Balagan at this festival every year. Just a lot of big characters. So we were at the opera this week, and we had a situation with one of our clients. It was very fun, you know, no hard feelings, but we had a door upcharge. You know, it was 50 bucks in advance and 55 at the door. Makes sense. You want people to reserve in advance. Yeah. Right. I think it's rather standard, but it was a bit chaotic at check-in. We arrived late. Our list, we were missing one of the papers. Uh, one somebody came up to buy a ticket and was really unhappy about the five dollar upcharge uh, at the on site, and he said, "This show's not worth fifty five dollars. It's not even worth fifty. I can't believe you're charging me fifty. There's no notice about it. Not in the program. Not on the website. Not in the advertising. I don't want to spend fifty dollars. I don't want to spend fifty five dollars. I won't do it." Okay. And we had a long line and music. Jen Stewart of the Borscht Belt. Sorry, and I just turned my head away from the mic. Thank God for editing the Borscht Belt Tadler podcast. Uh, <laughs> self uh, That's, that's yeah, what we're all pitching. here for. I know. I'm like, here, hi, listen to me. Uh, but I, it's just, I love klezmer music. And 
uh, the Toronto Ashkenazi um, Festival is just such a great way to come and be exposed to this amazing culture that we have.